Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT. Because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes, and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. Hope you're doing well this Wednesday. It's the middle of the week. The crocus of freedom is poking through the snow, or, or whatever it is. Anyway, the, the sun is out, which is much nicer. Uh, right, coming up, we've got PMQs unpacked. Tim Shipman and I pause the action live from the House of Commons as Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer clash over the dispatch box. But first, it's Wednesday, so our columnist panel is, of course, Camp Alice. It's John Kampfner and Alice Thompson. Every so often, there's one of these stories which, which sort of blows up and people keep tweeting me saying, why aren't you talking about this? And I say, we, keep, we talk about it almost every day, but it is one of those stories which there's this sort of sense of it not getting quite enough coverage, certainly south of the border. Is What on earth is going on in the SNP? It's been quite the sort of turbulent few days uh, uh, with uh, Alex Salmon now not giving evidence to the inquiry uh, into how the Scottish government handled complaints against him. He was due to give evidence today. Uh, but um, a Scottish Parliament spokesperson said that the former First Minister had said he will not be attending. Um, it comes after the Parliament withdrew and then republished a redacted version of his submission to the inquiry. It's all getting very complicated. It's essentially sort of almost civil war in the SNP. Uh, why does this matter, John, beyond the, the sort of the, the narrow question of, of, uh, of Alex Salmon wanting, in his eyes anyway, to get some sort of justice? And what people are saying publicly and what they're allowed to say publicly is only a tiny fraction of, that of uh, what they're saying behind the scenes, the conspiracies, the conspiracy theories, whether the prosecutor's in hock with the first minister and who's doing what. I mean, Scottish politics, even at the best of times, and I'd go back to um, to the old days of Gordon Brown versus Robin Cook. I mean, Scottish politics has always been visceral and and into Nissan, and this is really, really vicious. And it matters because the uh, Scottish elections are coming up in May. I haven't seen any uh, most recent opinion polls. Maybe you guys have, but I mean, the SNP was flying incredibly high, looking pretty much uh, to sweep the board, partly because Labour have gone from being uber powerful to being nowhere in Scotland, and the Tories doing 
not much. So it was going to be an SNP landslide. That was going to put a huge amount of pressure on Westminster, on London, on Boris Johnson to agree to a second indie ref, which he was absolutely hell-bent on refusing. And the big question is, therefore, is the SNP going to be harmed by it? And th- th- I think you're right. The, 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 the SNP are still ahead, although slightly dipping, I think, in the polls. Um, Alice, to people who are not in Scotland... Uh, this this matters because of the the knock on effect of what might happen. You know, if 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 the SNP were were you know badly damaged in the polls, Nicola Sturgeon doesn't get her majority. Her argument for an independence referendum, you know, that could actually decide the the future of the union. This this what seems like a very complicated row involving Alex Salmond. It is incredibly complicated, but very important. I and mean, I'm half Scottish, which is why I don't have P in my Thompson. Badali, as it's the Scottish spelling, but I find oh, I that talking to my cousins, I know, talking, it's a very common name up in Scotland, talking to my cousins up there who are very political and quite involved, I think it's, it's extraordinary because it's this vicious fight between two people who were extremely close. I mean, um, if you look at Nicola Sturgeon was Salmon's protégé for years, he actually got her into the position and then she did better than he did. So it's much less straightforward than you think. And she really is now the Queen of Scots in the last year. Her personal ratings have just soared with COVID and how she has dealt with it. And regardless of how else she's doing in Scotland, people feel that she did a very, very good job with COVID. And so there's this bizarre situation where the person who really put her there is now out to get her and she's out to get him. And it's an extremely personal fight. And I feel very sorry for the women who are caught up in it, who are anonymous, but you know, are known to many people and have been you know, viciously accused online. Um, and I think you'd now feel that if you felt that you were a victim in any sort of um, sexual assault case, you wouldn't come forward now because, I mean, it's an absolute nightmare, I think, for them. And these two protagonists are fighting it out together and there's a lot of collateral damage um, for other people involved really now. It is, it is absolutely extraordinary. It's one of those things that the uh, the Scottish Conservatives are now trying to sort of uh, weaponise, if you like, having normally they go around saying, oh, it's the SNP obsessed with um, uh, constitutional things. Um, Adam Tompkins, who is a Conservative MSP, is also a professor of law at the University of Glasgow. Uh, he was absolutely furious about the way that the, uh, the Scottish Parliament had, had sort of intervened in this, saying the history of parliaments in this country is we stand up to the crown, but not today. Today, a parliament folded. That's not a farce. It's a tragedy and it's a shameful historic error. And so it just feels like it's going to get even more and more um, uh, political uh, over the coming days. Uh, do we th- think that actually most people are going to follow uh, all of this? In fact, I've just looked up the, the, the poll. So the last time there was a polling, some polling in Scotland was uh, on the 9th of February. And, and actually the SNP were up a little bit. Uh, still on, uh, was it 54? I mean, well mm-hmm. over 50% uh, in, in the polls. It, 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 do you think, John, there's a risk that, that people who don't like the SNP, don't like the idea of independence, uh, might might still yet get a shock? that they might. It's a bit of wishful thinking for thinking this, this you know, uh, domestic that's going, being played out at the SNP might not actually have much impact on voters. Well, I mean, the, the issue, I suppose, if you're a, a Scottish voter, is who else would you vote for? Um, the Lib Dems pick up bits and bobs normally in the Highlands and the Islands and, and not much else. The Tories uh, have bits and bobs usually in the borders and in Tayside and, and the sort of the posher, more rural parts 
of Scotland. And it, but it used to be Labour in Glasgow, the big cities. That was absolutely the machine. And Labour UK wide used to be absolutely dominated by Scots um, and the uh, and they were absolutely um, the dominant machine party in Scotland. Now they are absolutely nowhere. They've just got rid of yet another Labour leader. So even if you thought I'm not interested in or I've got sort of disdain for the domestic going on between Sturgeon and Salmon, where else do you go? I suppose that's the thing. Yeah, you're right. I was just looking. The, the, the Labour Party in Scotland hasn't been over 20 percent uh, for the constituency vote anyway, because obviously there's the two, the two votes constituency and then the list vote. Haven't been over 20 percent since April last year. It's all been bouncing around up and down. Um, uh, and the Tories have actually, you know, come down quite a bit. They were on sort of mid 20s. They're now uh, on, on low 20s. And nobody apart from Ruth Davidson, who is strangely still currently leading the, the Tories in, Scot in the Scottish Parliament, uh, but not actually the Scottish leader. Um, uh, nobody seems to be able to lay, lay a glove on uh, Nicholas Sturgeon. It'd be fascinating to see if the one person who ends up doing a in is in fact Alex Salmond rather than anyone from any other uh, political party. Um, let, let's move on because there's actually been some breaking news this morning on the NHS is now being advised to vaccinate those on the GP Learning Disability Register. Uh, this, the Joint Committee on the Vaccination and Immunisation, the JCVI, has now advised the government and the NHS to invite more people with learning difficulties to receive uh, their COVID-19 vaccines. Um, uh, and you've written about this already. Maybe it's a result of your column, uh, Alice, because you've written about this in the Times <laughs> I today. I don't think so. <laughs> Alice's column moves politics, it moves markets. I know. Exactly right. The world. Exactly. Um, what's interesting, so just... though, just talking about Scotland, is that Nicola Sturgeon has already done this. So she put all people with a learning disability onto the um, register much faster, as did Germany. So it's interesting that she has been one step ahead in this way from um, Britain, because uh, from England, because in England, we didn't put people who had learning disabilities unless they were very severe onto the register. And we failed to recognise just how many people with learning disabilities were dying compared to the general population. And uh, obviously, this, the, the story's sort of uh, made the headlines in the last uh, few days because of um, Joe Wiley, uh, Radio 2 uh, DJ, who who was shocked, I think it's fair to say, to discover that although she's fit, she does triathlons and that sort of thing, she was shocked to discover that she was going to get the jab before her sister Frances, who's got a rare genetic disorder and diabetes, um, and was actually ended up briefly in hospital after falling ill with the virus. Um, why is it, do you think, I mean, I, I suppose it because this is a crisis which has engulfed the whole country, everything ends up being slightly a blind spot. Why do you think this has in particular been a blind spot uh, in the last 12 months, Alice? Why are we only having this conversation now? I think we knew quite early on that people who had disabilities were being much harder hit by COVID than the rest of the population. And people with learning difficulties in particular, at first it seems strange, but if you talk to GPs, some of them say it's because they find it harder to stick to the restrictions, some of them, because they're not as aware of what they should and shouldn't be doing. Um, sometimes it's because they have other underlying health conditions. But now we know that they are so much more likely um, to die from COVID. I think they really should have been put up the list. So the ONS figures that came out last week show that six out of 10 people who died from COVID had some sort of disability. And that those between the age of 18 and 34, it was actually 30 times higher 
for those with a learning difficulty. Um, and that does seem really extraordinary. It seems that we just sort of failed to understand that. And when Boris is, Johnson's talking about his roadmap out, I think he sort of forgot the disabled in it. And I think that that is probably a correction they've had to make today to say, we can't leave people behind in this, that we can't expect them to carry on uh, being stuck at home when everyone else is out. There's also other problem, which is the fact that children who are 18 and under who are, um, have learning disabilities or who are disabled can't actually get the vaccine yet because we're not vaccinating anyone under the 18. So that's a whole nother area where it's very difficult if you have a child who has a disability. John, um, it, is, it is sort of striking this, isn't it, that that uh, there was a lot of focus, I mean, you know, really early on, on, you know, p- people who were overweight and then uh, fairly soon, you know, people from uh, ethnic minority backgrounds and the impact that COVID was having on them. The impact on people who were disabled or have learning disabilities just hasn't been part of that, that, that national conversation, is it? Like, that's unfortunately probably a sad reflection of society generally. Yeah, and, and that those stats that Alice cited in her column and just uh, repeated now are they're just one of those sort of, oh my god moments i mean it's incredible sort of six times more uh, death rate likely to have died um uh, if you were disabled i mean i just think and 30 times more in, in the younger cohorts i just think it's incredible and terrible and i feel really um divided about this because i mean it was brilliant what joe wiley did and said and she did it in a very her tone was completely right it was unlike the way some celebrities do it it wasn't self-aggrandizing it was really really just visceral and personal but in a very uh, calm but also sensitive way I think she drew attention to it and think of Marcus Rashford in a different context and free school meals and what bothers me Uh, is not that celebrities draw attention to these important things. It's great that they do rather than topping up their tans in Dubai and all the other nonsense that they often (laughs) get up to. Um, But it's why it is that government, public and media are not listening to the quieter voices uh, lobbying for uh, disability or um, other issues, whether that's the charities or the other groups. I'm sure that they have been trying to get these issues up in lights, but why do we have to only listen when celebrities make the case? Yeah, I suppose, yeah, that you're, you're, you're totally right. It's one of those things. I suppose it, it's, it's, it's depressing and it's probably a reflection of it's not particularly glamorous talking about uh, learning disabilities. And so, you know, and then another celebrity comes along and that's a way of giving it headlines, which is, yeah, probably says more about us than anything else. So, yeah, just that breaking news in the last uh, few minutes that the JCVI has advised to come at the NHS to invite more than 150,000 people with learning disabilities will be offered the vaccine uh, more quickly than uh, than would have been the case. Uh, just finally, I want to talk to you about something that I've written in uh, Times 2 today. Uh, John Tarode, the Australian TV chef uh, and judge on MasterChef, has said he would never, ever eat his dinner in front of the telly that sofas are for sitting on and not for eating on, which I I have written uh, in defence of eating your dinner in front of the telly because it's the only fun we can have right now. Rachel Johnson, uh, the, the uh, well, let's be honest, Prime Minister's sister, uh, she's best known for me. Um, she's written a counter argument, even she ends up concluding that actually even the Queen eats her dinner off a tray, and so maybe that's also fine. Uh, Alice and John, where do you stand on eating your dinner in front of the telly? Oh, I'm fifty-fifty. I think I kind of vaguely expect everyone to 
have the first course, so whatever we're having. Um, and then they all, we all kind of go onto the sofa and eat chocolate for the rest of the evening now. It's kind of like, <laughs> <laughs> or, or it's yogurt that gets dripped everywhere or ice cream if they can get away with it. Or, but we, um, we definitely move, I think, from uh, quite a brief uh, f- um, meal to spending the rest of the evening eating chocolates. Yeah, yeah, I could, I could, I that, that's definitely, that's definitely a, a bit of that. I mean, my, my base point is particularly on a Friday night. We've gone full film in a takeaway, to, uh, exactly. only of course to support you... to support local businesses, uh, not because that's... we're too lazy to cook. <laughs> that's um, great and... minds, Matt. So we have um, a we always sit down at the table uh, for six nights a week, and we take it in turns to cook. And because partly because we're all doing our own thing, working in the day, and that's the one time. And we all sort of help ourselves at lunchtime. This is in great lockdown mode, which hopefully will come to an end fairly soon. But Friday night is takeaway delivery night and everybody watching stuff as they as they eat. And I think that's that's great. But I think it will all wither away when we're all out allowed to go out gallivanting again. Oh, oh, to go gallivanting. Oh, to go gallivanting. But you know what? Rachel Johnson has been in touch saying, very huffy you haven't asked me on to talk about TV dinners. Um, and uh, I know, you're. I know Rachel, you are known for other things other than being the Prime Minister's sister. I, I think she's got a show on another radio station, but, you know, who listens to that family? Even she's listening to Times Radio. John Campanow and Alice Thompson, then, of course, you can read them both online at thetimes.co.uk. Just get yourself a Times digital subscription. Go online, click on something that takes your fancy... And as a bonus right now, you'll get your first month for free. Right, up next is PMQ's Unpacked. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, and now it's time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley. And Tim Shipman. Yes, it's that time of the week where we await to see the action in the House of Commons and PMQ's Unpacked is where we pause the action live so that uh, we can try and explain what is going on. What are they talking about? Who's winning and who's losing? And I'm joined as ever by Tim Shipman, political editor of The Sunday Times. Hi, Tim. Hi, Matt. I must first apologise for zooming in wearing a jumper, um, <laughs> obviously underdressed. It is. Ve- I mean, it is very Jonathan Gullis. It has to be said that jumper you're wearing. The Tory MP who got told off. He was. He, in fact, he wasn't allowed to zoom into the House of Commons. Ellen Lang sent him away to get dressed properly. Well, if I'd known, I would have come bare-chested like all those Conservative ministers and MPs who were getting their vaccine. <laughs> 
there's also there's a brilliant. Uh, we'll see. Uh, there's some suggestion. Boris Johnson supposedly has had his hair cut, according to uh, some suggesting that Carrie Simons might have done it. It doesn't appear. It doesn't look like he's had it done, uh, judging by the pictures coming out of the House of Commons uh, right now. Um, uh, what do we expect uh, the, the the main issues to be today, Tim? I mean, looking at those pictures, if if that's a haircut, they're obviously charging by the inch because they haven't taken very much off. Um, <laughs> I mean, you've got you've got several things, haven't you? You've got um, this whole, you know, it would be strange, wouldn't it, if Keir Starmer didn't try to interrogate Boris Johnson a little bit about his roadmap. Um, uh, and uh, you wonder whether the tougher questions will come from the leader of the opposition or from the, the, the Tory benches behind him, who are very unhappy about uh, the pace of events. Um, uh, the other big issue is vaccine passports or certificates or apps, or call it what you will. Michael Goh's been put in charge of coming up with something on that. I would imagine uh, the Labour leader might want to try and find out what's going on with that. The government seems to be completely neuralgic about doing this, but seems to recognise that some form of uh, recognition for having had the vaccine is in order. Um, and then, you know, the budget is a week away and it, would, it wouldn't surprise me if you saw Starmer try to sort of roll the pitch a little bit, perhaps try and predict what Rishi Sunak's going to announce um, in a week and then and demand it all now. Well, let's find out. We go live to the House of Commons. This is the Labour leader, Keir Starmer. The principles behind the Prime Minister's recovery plan of caution, and it must be irreversible, are, are plainly right. But one of the biggest threats to that is misinformation about the risks of the deadly virus. For example, there have been people saying that COVID statistics appear to have been manipulated, that Monday's roadmap is based on dodgy assumptions and false modelling. Does the Prime Minister agree that these kinds of comments are irresponsible and undermine our national recovery? Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, the... uh, roadmap that we've set out will, I believe, uh, set us on a cautious but uh, irreversible journey to freedom, and I'm glad that he supports the four steps uh, of uh, March the 8th for schools, April 12th for shops, May the 17th for hospitality, uh, June the 21st for everything, and the data supporting all of that, uh, Mr Speaker, has been available uh, to the House uh, since I announced it on Monday. OK, let's just jump in there. I suspect that the, the punchline is coming from Keir Starmer. But uh, it's worth pointing out, Tim Shipman, when he talks about people saying that COVID statistics appear to have been manipulated, I think he has one very clear person in mind with that. Yeah, well, he's talking about the, the people in um, the COVID recovery group. Um, Mark Harper, the former chief whip, has been saying this is all a bit dodgy. And, um, uh, you know, what... Johnson is relying on bears no resemblance to the reality of what's happening on the ground. The models are all wrong. Um, Steve Baker, his deputy in that group, has been pretty vocal as well. Um, There's been a lot of people uh, sounding off about this. Um, uh, And it's interesting that Starmer's first move is not to disagree with the Prime Minister, but to try and drive a wedge between him and his backbenchers. Yeah, it was Desmond Swain who famously said that he, he looked, thought that he was caught saying that the, uh, the data had been manipulated. Let's see if Keir Starmer is now going to answer his own question. Let's take a listen. I think the Prime Minister dodged that question, uh, no doubt because all those comments came from his own MPs, some of the 60 or so members of the Covid recovery group. Perhaps the Prime Minister should have a word with them. Another big threat, another big threat to the recovery plan is that around three in ten people who should be self-isolating aren't doing so. That's a huge gap in our defences and the small changes on Monday won't fix it. That's why Labour has called for the £500 self-isolation payment to be made available to everybody who needs it. Will the Prime Minister just fix this? Yeah. Mr. 
Mr Speaker, he knows very well that uh, the, uh, those who are asked to self-isolate already have the £500 uh, test and trace support payment. And I think he also knows, because he, he supported the, uh, the roadmap on, uh, on Monday, that the, uh, eligibility, he supports the fact that the eligibility criteria are being extended to allow uh, parents and guardians to, uh, who are staying off work uh, also uh, to receive a payment, provided they meet the criteria. I think he's aware of that. Yes, this has been. I thought that this might be quite a sort of fruitful line of attack from Keir Starmer, but he sort of like banked that that sort of uh, clever clogs uh, question of uh, oh, it's your Tory MPs who are peddling misinformation, and then just sort of moved on to something else. Yeah, with the not terribly stirring admonition that you perhaps you might just have a word with them. I mean, it's uh, it's not exactly pouring petrol on a potentially interesting fire. Um, you know, uh, he's made he's made his gambit, I suppose, and there's there's lots of things he wants to talk about, so he's moved on. But um, yes, it's less than stirring so far, isn't it? Okie doke. Let's have let's have another one, Mr. Speaker. Three out of ten people who should be self-isolating aren't doing so. That matters to millions of people, and it matters if we're going to get the virus under control. The chair of Test and Trace said that people are scared to come forward for a COVID test because they can't afford to isolate. That's the chair of Test and Take, can't afford it. The government's biosecurity centre concluded that unmet financial need was why some lower-income areas are seeing stubbornly high infection rates. So why, after all the billions the government has thrown around, is it still people in low-paid jobs who are at the bottom of this government's priorities? Yeah. Prime Minister. Uh, actually, Mr Speaker, I think most people uh, looking at uh, what we've done throughout this pandemic, looking at the uh, support, the £280 billion package of support, uh, can see that it is uh, the poorest and the neediest in society, those on the lowest income, who have been the top of the government's priorities. And that is quite right. And, that's, uh, and we will continue uh, to act in that way, Mr Speaker, and uh, he will be hearing more about that next week from the Chancellor, in addition uh, to the discretionary funding we've given councils uh, to support those who need it most, including those, Mr Speaker, who have to self-isolate. Mr. Speaker, it's interesting, isn't it, Tim Shipman, that the Labour Party uh, obviously wants to paint the government as uncaring and not generous enough and not not on the side of the least well-off. But right now, and obviously what happens uh, out after the lockdown uh, is, a, is another question, when uh, Rishi Sunak presumably tries to claw some of the money back. But right now, they are spending phenomenal amounts of money, increasing uh, universal credit, the furlough scheme, uh, you know, which overwhelmingly, um, uh, you, you could argue, would ha help those in jobs where they can't work from home, uh, less well-paid jobs in shops and, and cafes and all that sort of thing. So it, it's, it's quite a difficult one to, to hit the government with at the moment isn't it yeah i think that's right i mean there's two two things here there's the specific circumstances of covid which make it, it difficult and as we say week after week you know you sit in any focus group and most people are giving the government the benefit of the doubt uh, for the most part on this stuff and boris johnson they're saying yes there'll be even more money next week uh, when rishi sunak does, does his budget the other issue is dealing with boris johnson in general uh, and i remember talking to people who were working with jeremy corbyn a year ago who were used to were used to attacking tory governments from the left and saying they don't spend enough money and then boris johnson was prepared to come in and spend all, almost limitless amounts of money and it gives labor you know a very small amount of pitch to play on um and that's something they're still trying to adapt to and that's you know starmer's challenge over the next two or three years it does also i know you, you mentioned the question of uh, you know uh, vaccine passports 
that's like a big, you know, ideological, ethical question. And it doesn't it just doesn't feel like this is a, a Labour Party or a Labour leader who wants to, um, to to grapple with this. I may be wrong. Let's take a listen to Keir Starmer. Here's the difference. If you need £500 to isolate, you're out of luck. If you've got the Health Secretary's WhatsApp, you get a million pound contract. T turning to next week's budget. Now, I don't expect the Prime Minister to preempt what's in the budget. If I want that, I can read it on the front page of the Times. But can the Prime Minister at least agree <laughs> with me today that now is not the time for tax rises for families and for businesses? Uh, of course, uh, the, yeah, I was, uh, you may have heard me there slightly, slightly uh, cheering. Keir Starmer there clearly reading the Times today. Uh, Stephen Swinford reporting on the front of the Times that um, uh, Rishi Sunak is, is planning to extend the, um, uh, the stamp duty holiday. Uh, you'll have also read in the Times over the weekend a plan to uh, increase corporation tax. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, so, but once again, sort of Keir Starmer struggling a little bit then because... Uh, we already are finding out that Rishi Sunak is going to be doing some of the things that otherwise Keir Starmer might be talking about or calling for. Well, the interesting thing here is that Starmer has spent the last 10 days uh, trying to sell Labour as the new party of business. Um, and he thinks that there is sort of something here um, that Labour can latch onto. So now the world is turning upside down and it is the Labour Party saying there shouldn't be any taxes on business. And it's a Conservative Party that's preparing to ramp up corporation tax, um, as both the Times and Sunday Times have been reporting for some time. Um, and yeah. Good to see that the leader of the opposition has a good taste in newspapers, if nothing yes. else. Get yourself a subscription as ever. Go to the times.co.uk. Right now, you'll get your first month for free. Anyway, let's go back to uh, Boris Johnson, see if he's been reading the Times as well. Prime Minister. Uh, uh, Mr Speaker, I don't know about, about you, uh, but the, the budget is happening uh, next week. It's uh, not a date that is concealed from the uh, right honourable gentleman often. He knows when it's he knows when it's happy, he knows what it, what to expect. But it's preposterous for him, uh, Mr Speaker, to talk about tax rises. When I mean, he stood on a manifesto uh, only a, a year ago, Mr Speaker, or a little over a year ago, to put up taxes by the biggest amount in the history of this country. It is the Labour Party, Mr Speaker. Uh, his Labour Council in Camden uh, that puts up taxes across the country. That is the way Labour behave, and it's thanks to prudent fiscal management by this government that we've been able to fight this pandemic in the way that we have. I'm not sure the Prime Minister totally knows how things work, about quite how the Labour Council in Camden is putting up taxes right across the country. No, I mean, he's playing to the old cliche about the Labour Party um, and, you know, hoping that still has some traction, whereas I think a lot of voters will look at Keir Starmer and think that's a little bit different from Jeremy Corbyn. Um, but as I say, this is, these are sort of new and interesting times. I mean, Boris Johnson now talking about prudent fiscal management. That will come as news to the Chancellor of the Exchequer, who's been trying to get him to uh, not commit to quite such extravagant uh, uh, <laughs> spending for the better part of the last year. Um, but, you know, this is a government that has spent well in excess of £300 billion um, on this current crisis. Um, and if you've got the Labour Party saying, don't put up tax... Um, there's not been a great deal of pressure on the government to do a great deal about any of this. Uh, yeah, it, it is. Um, it's not just the country that needs to be weaned off this spending. It's the prime minister. And that's that's part of the challenge that the uh, the chancellor is uh, facing. Let's go back to Keir Starmer. Then. Let's see if he's got an answer to uh, Camden Council's responsibility for all tax. He wants to talk about tax rises. And he should, because this matters. 
councils up and down the country are being forced to decide now whether to put council tax up. That's a two billion pound rise on families. I'm not blaming councils. They've been starved of funding for a decade. And Labour and Conservative councils are in the same position. For example, the Prime Minister might want to concentrate on his own constituency, his own council, Hillingdon, Conservative run Hillingdon is voting to increase tax, council tax, by 4.8 per cent. Does the Prime Minister think that they're right to do that? Prime Minister. I think the Prime Minister just basically just blundered into queuing up the, uh, Keir Starmer's uh, next question there. Um, they rather but... quaint that, that Starmer imagines that Boris Johnson has visited his constituency. <laughs> I'm not sure if that counts. I mean, it's, not, it's not a million miles away from Downing Street. He could pop out there and... Uh, speak to local people if he if he if he wanted to, but council tax. This is a proper bread and butter issue. This is an old school row. Uh, uh, council tax is going up. The opposition blames the government. The government will say, "I suspect uh, it's council's fault, not ours." Council, in common with uh, most Conservative councils, has been running lower taxes, uh, lower council taxes than Labour, up and down, up and down the country. He's completely wrong, Mr Speaker. I'm going to correct him. Uh, The top ten highest council taxing councils in this country are run by the Labour Party, Mr Speaker. And they are all going to to put their taxes up. Mr. Speaker, except for one in those top ten, which is Burnley, which is currently in over, no overall control, uh, Mr. Speaker. And uh, he talks about uh, uh, he talks about London and uh, my own record on on taxes. He should talk to uh, the Labour current Labour Mayor of London, who is putting up his council tax by 10%, uh, because I can tell him that the previous. The previous Conservative Mayor of London, Mr Speaker, cut council tax by 20%. That's what Conservative councils do. Well, <laughs> yeah, but what I was going to there. say is that he was going, yes. to say, going to say that Tory councils cost you less, which, of course, is exactly what he did. Um, but as you say, this is a good old-fashioned row that really appears. It feels so detached from sort of the mainstream of politics to be having a row about council tax that it's actually... <laughs> rather quaint um, and old-fashioned. Um, I rather like it. Yeah, it does. It, 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 yeah, I've I have seen this ding dong between Jeremy Corbyn and Theresa May, David David Cameron and Ed Miliband, David Cameron and Gordon Brown, and Tony Blair before him. Um, uh, does it make any difference? Do you think? Do you think it is one of those things where everyone, you know, you get your bill, you think, oh, that's gone up again. What am I getting for that? You know, the council say, well, the government isn't giving us enough money. Um, does it have any impact on national politics? Do you think the council tax rises? Uh, I think it does a little bit, but I think it's um, uh, people are more inclined to blame their local council than to blame the, the government centrally that isn't giving the council the money it needs. Um, that would be the argument. I think the interesting thing about politics where we are now is that Boris Johnson, if he is successful over the next couple of years, can spend loads of money and get praise for that, whilst also uh, playing a sort of fiscally responsible card and saying the Labour Party would splurge even more. And if he manages to pull off that trick, then that's how the Tories get re-elected. And, and Starmer's got to try and uh, chivvy away at that. I suppose the flip side is, if the Tory party are splashing the cash, it makes it much harder for them to say, look at that lot, they want to splash the cash. Um, and it's, a, uh, it's a, you know, the amount, the amount of cash we're splashing is fine, but not a penny more is a slightly more difficult uh, dividing line to, uh, to, to play. Uh, let's go back then and see, um, see how uh, Keir Starmer winds up. Uh, 
The fact is, Mr Speaker, that £15 billion has been taken out of council budgets over the last 10 years. The Prime Minister stopped blaming others for the damage he's done, and he quotes the Mayor. He quotes the Mayor. This was the former Mayor who bought water can that couldn't be used, spent millions on a garden bridge that never got put, and then more recently going to pay rose to Dominic Cummings. Mr Speaker, this is another PMQs with yet again no answers. And the truth is this. The Government spent a decade weakening the foundations of our economy and our country. As a result, we have the highest death toll in Europe. We have the worst recession of any major economy. Families are facing council tax rises and millions can't afford to self-isolate. And all the Prime Minister offices are returned to business as usual. Next week's budget is a chance to choose a different path, to build a stronger future, to protect families, to give our key workers the pay rise they deserve and to back British businesses by supporting 100,000 new start-ups. Will the Prime Minister do so? Prime Minister. Now, here's the interesting thing for me, uh, Tim Shipman. He's done this a couple of weeks now. Keir Starmer trying to pin on Boris Johnson the last 10 years of Conservative austerity. Uh, and you can say, well, you know, Boris Johnson can argue he wasn't in, even in Parliament for half of that. He was at least the, the Foreign Secretary under Theresa May. He was a Conservative mayor. He was very close uh, to David Cameron, at least uh, when he wanted to be. The problem for me, I think, with this as a strategy is he can't say that Boris Johnson was responsible, is culpable for everything that David Cameron did. And yet Keir Starmer has no responsibility at all for Jeremy Corbyn's uh, leadership. And that, that, that it does feel like there's a tension there in that strategy. Yeah, I think there is. And I think what both of them have done relatively successfully is show that they're not, um, you know, that they are a new broom and that they are a new regime. Um, Starmer certainly pulled that off at the start of his time as Labour leader, I think. And and Boris Johnson's success was in saying this is a new government, um, you know, back in uh, at the end of 2019. And, and the public broadly bought that. They didn't see Boris Johnson as being very similar. Um, he was pushing Brexit. His predecessors weren't. Um, he's now spending loads of money. His predecessors were, were nailed to austerity. Um, and it's a difficult argument to make in either direction. That's why I think we're in a pretty new world here. And, and they're still both finding their feet. And I think this edition of PMQs has shown how difficult it is for them both yet to find the arguments that are going to really, really cut through. I think this has been a, an interesting sort of probing exercise, but it feels like the world hasn't changed this lunchtime. Uh, Keir Starmer calling for in the budget next week uh, a stronger future protecting families looking after key workers and backing British business a radical programme from the leader of the opposition let's see if Boris Johnson's willing to sign up to it uh, Mr Speaker if you'll only wait till next week I think you'll find that we'll do far more uh, than that poultry uh, that poultry a- a agenda that he set out uh, far more than that and I must say, Mr Speaker, it is quite mystifying to see the way the Right Honourable Gentleman uh, weaves hither and yon uh, like some sort of druidical rocking stone, uh, Mr Speaker. One week, he, uh, one week he claims that he supports the vaccination uh, rollout. Uh, the, the next week he actually attacks the vaccine task force when they're spending money to try to reach hard-to-reach vaccine-resistant groups and says that kind of spending uh, can't be justified. Uh, one, one week he calls for us to go, go faster. Uh, with rolling out vaccines, when he would have stayed in the European Medicines Agency, which would have made that rollout impossible, uh, Mr Speaker. He vacillates, Mr Speaker. We vaccinate. And we're going to get on, and we're going to get on with our agenda, 
cautious but irreversibly taking this country forward on a one-way road to freedom. And I very much hope that his support, which has been so evanescent in the past, will genuinely prove irreversible this time, Mr Speaker. Well, I don't know about the haircut. It, Boris Johnson's got a new thesaurus, I think it's fair to say. Um, I'm googling the druidical rolling stone as we speak. <laughs> I, I can confirm I am doing the same thing. <laughs> I'm not quite sure uh, what that um, uh, that means. He weaves hither and thither, no hither and yon, hither like and a yon. druidical rocking stone. Um, no, no idea what all that was about. I mean, we va- he vacillates, we vaccinate. So it's something that probably sounded better in the meeting this morning than it did out in the wild. Well, it's a decent line if most people will know what vacillate means. Um, uh, you know, it works, um, but uh, <laughs> it may have a it, it may be it may be regarded as niche. I think it's fair to say. Um, uh, we'll try and find out more about the druidical rocking stones. This feels like something we need to know about. Uh, but I think we can we can hear now from uh, the leader of the SNP in Westminster. Uh, this is Ian Blackford. The country, and I, I must say, I wish that the Scottish Nationalist government uh, would would spend that money better, uh, because it's very sad to see some of the failures in education policy in in Scotland, the failures in their uh, criminal justice policy in fighting crime, and I think what the people of, of the whole UK would like to see, and I believe the people of Scotland, is less talk about a referendum, Mr. Speaker, which is his agenda, and more talk about the real issues facing our country. Yeah. Go back to Ian Blackford. Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister's boasting, but the cold, hard reality is that the United Kingdom has suffered the worst slump of any major economy, and 120,000 people have lost their lives. That's under your guidance, Prime Minister. Coronavirus has exposed the deep inequalities under this broken Westminster system. After a decade of Tory cuts, millions of families are in poverty, and UK unemployment is soaring. In contrast... In the United States, President Biden understands what is needed. He has proposed a $1.9 trillion stimulus package to restart and renew the American economy. Prime Minister, will your government follow the example of the US and boost the economy like Biden? Or is the Tory plan to return to type and impose yet another decade of Tory austerity? Prime Minister... Um. Mr Speaker, the, 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 this, this government is investing a £640 billion in infrastructure alone uh, throughout the, the, the UK. Uh, a massive programme to get our country rebuilt and, and restarted again. And I think that is what people uh, would like to focus on, rather than uh, his agenda, uh, to talk about, talk about our broken politics, our broken, uh, our broken uh, country. All they want to do is break up Britain with another referendum. Uh, and I think that is the last thing this country needs at the moment. More. Thank you, Mr. Oh, well, there we are. Uh, we had a bit of Boris Johnson's response to the first question, then he, he, uh, Ian Blackford uh, there, urging Boris Johnson to be more like Joe Biden, which is actually what Boris Johnson is doing, isn't it? Yes, I think so. But, I mean, it, you listen to Ian Blackford and he seems, unlike Starmer, to be sticking with the old themes. It's always Tory cuts, Tory austerity, because the SNP, um, you know, seem to want to spend more. And um, Johnson, in his answer doing what he wants um, his sort of union unit and uh, the people who are supposed to keep this country together are going to be campaigning against the SNP on some of the, what, you know, Tories would perceive to be their domestic failings. Um, and Johnson is beginning week after week to slip those uh, attacks into his response to Blackford. So you're seeing a sort of bigger picture play out there as well. 
on the, but the, on the juridical TV. rocking stone, Matt, is apparently before a we come to that, just so finely balanced <laughs> that a small force causes them to rock. So one can understand why dear old uh, Boris Johnson might try to put that on Keir Starmer. It's caused us to resort to Wikipedia, um, and it's an interesting analogy. He's a very knowledgeable man, the Prime Minister, but again, it does appear to be niche. It is quite niche. Apparently there's one down in Cornwall, uh, a rocking stone, a juridical rocking stone, um, uh, which is said only to move at midnight when witches are out. Um, uh, 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 people claim that if you touch the rocking stone nine times at midnight, one would turn into a witch. Um, <laughs> there's one in, in uh, Yorkshire, which is said to uh, rock only for the efforts of an honest man. Maybe we should take all politicians there and give them a test <laughs> on that one. Um, uh, <laughs> there's one in uh, Treen, which is said to cure childhood diseases. Uh, the rocking stone at Land's End was said to have been placed there by a giant who used to rock, use, uh, would use it to rock himself to sleep. The slight risk that today's PMQs might have rocked you to sleep as well. I'm not sure we, we learned a huge amount, but it has sort of shot a, a, a light on how politics has changed so much. The pandemic has changed uh, politics. Brexit has changed politics. The, the, both main party leaders are struggling a little bit to adjust to the new to the new world. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Um, you know, the electoral map has shifted and some of the um, alliances that these leaders, uh, the kind of people they attract has, has shifted. Um, and uh, the reason Boris Johnson was successful in 2019 was because he kind of worked that out before some of the people he was up against um, his challenge now is to try and keep those uh, that coalition together. Um, and, it, you know, the people who are going to attack him are going to have to do it in slightly different ways from how they've done it with uh, the traditional Tory party. Though in Scotland, one suspects uh, the SNP know that it still works to bang on about Tory austerity and, and wicked Tory cuts. Um, and that's how their politics is slightly differently aligned from, from how it is in England. It's, it's interesting to see, you know, these different approaches playing out now. And on, the, on that question of uh, Scotland, it's what well, is Wednesday now. We must be due uh, another new head of the union unit in Downing Street. Um, you, you wrote extensively about it at the weekend. What is going on in the uh, um, on the inside of uh, number 10? Is the turmoil over? Is, every, is it now a happy ship? Who is up? Who is down? Michael Gove was out for about two minutes and now he's back in charge of ethics uh, it seems of the of the of, uh, of the government operation what, what's going on inside number 10 Tim well people in there say it's a happier ship it's sort of less stressful and less uh, heated but it also seems to be in a mild state of turmoil um where there was sort of the old vote leave crowd against uh, the traditional Boris Johnson people there now seem to be four or five different groups um uh, all maneuvering for position um and the union units got rather got mixed up in that um for those that care about the detail, a chap called Oliver Lewis, who was a vote leave um, chap who had helped out on the Brexit uh, negotiations. He then went to run the union unit, having ousted uh, a chap called Luke Graham. He's now departed himself, having, you know, by his lights not been given the support he needed to pursue the strategy he wanted to pursue. Um, and what that will mean in uh, the medium term is that the government's uh, approach to Scotland will be slightly less aggressive, I suspect, than it would have been uh, had... Oliver Lewis remained in charge. Um, uh, Michael Gove is now no longer in charge of uh, Brexit, but he's still got, you know, half an eye on what happens with the union. Um, he cares about that stuff. Um, and what they need to do is go and uh, have an argument in Scotland that's not about the Constitution, but about lots of other things, which is what you saw Boris Johnson uh, doing at this PMQs, as he did last week. 
Well, that's it for this episode of Red Box. Uh, if you've enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. Maybe even leave us a rating because it helps with the mumbo-jumbo charts. We release an episode every day, Monday to Thursday, featuring the best bits of my Times radio show. You can listen to the whole thing uh, Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. It's available on DAB, online, via Smart Speaker or on the Times radio app. And if you want to read more about all of the stories we've been discussing, then go to times.radio forward slash subscribe. <laughs> 